Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Hello and welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. We will be talking about an EU-wide project where national authorities inspected nearly 6,000 products sold online in the EU and EEA. The project looked at different web shops and online marketplaces and whether they followed the rules set by EU chemicals legislation. The inspections covered both professional products such as lead used for welding and consumer goods like textiles, leather, toys and jewellery. The project found that most of the inspected products did not comply with the law. We will be diving deeper into the findings and talking about what needs to change for the low level of compliance to improve. We will also hear some tips for anyone wanting to buy these products online and what steps can be taken to ensure the products meet legal requirements and can ultimately be used safely. With us are Kane Rumar, the chair of the working group for the project, and Maciek Baranski, who works in the Harmonized Enforcement team here at the European Chemicals Agency. Thank you both for joining us. Let's start with you, Karin. Can you tell me what were the main drivers for doing the project in the first place, and why did you decide to focus specifically on online sales? Yes, as we all know, this is really a growing market, especially in these pandemic times. And we also have many new actors and maybe also small actors that are not aware of uh, the chemical legislation. And different member states have also seen uh, high levels of non-compliance on online sales. And Forum had a pilot project uh, in 2017 and there the on e-commerce, and there the non-compliance was around 83%. So therefore, we wanted to follow up this and also add some other requirements uh, to this online sales project. Okay, thanks. Um, And what exactly did the inspections check for, um, and what were the main findings? Yes, first of all, I would like to say that this very high level of non-compliance in this project is partly due to the risk-based approach That means that inspectors, uh, they are not doing random tests, instead spot checks to really find the non-compliances. So it's not a full picture of the market. And especially for some legislation, it's easy to already see the non-compliance on the web page. And that's why this high high level of non-compliance. But another reason is also that there exists a high level of non-compliance, especially for some parts that you will that we will talk about later. If we first look at the restriction parts of this uh, project, which is the reach restrictions, where uh, products are restricted in in limited band in different ways, and we have also looked slightly at safety data sheets which is a, a document where that workers can use to get to know how to handle a product containing a harmful chemical and to handle it safely. Okay, and what were the findings for the REACH obligation specifically? So 78% of the inspected products did not comply with the uh, REACH restrictions. So it's a high level of non-compliance. But there is actually a difference between the chemical products and the articles. So chemical products had a non-compliance of 95%. But this is because it's 
obvious and it can be seen on, on the web page directly. But for articles like toys and, and jewelry and so on, uh, the non-compliance was 25%. And this is because we have to do chemical analysis before we can know that the product is non-compliant. And also because of this lower amount of uh, uh, non-compliance for articles, we could also see a difference between marketplaces and web shops where marketplaces had a much higher degree of non-compliance, 45% compared to 18%. Safety data sheets were also checked, uh, but only not the total content but if it was available on the website and if, the, if it was in the correct language of the receiving member states. And that non-compliance was only 5%. Okay, thank you. Sounds indeed like a high level of incompliance. Um, maybe then if we move on to the classification, labeling and packaging regulation, what was checked there and what did the inspectors find? For chemical products here, like in the CEP regulation, uh, the most typical non-compliance were the lack of hazard information in the online advertisement of a product. Because if you go to a physical store, you can see on the label how it is, uh, how it is ha hazardous. But this is not possible in the online stores. So then this information has to be put on the website. And this uh, was either missing totally or it was not clearly uh, visible on the web page. Okay, thank you. Um, and what about then, last but not least, biocides? What were the findings there? Yes, um, the inspectors were looking here for either uh, non-approved biocides, uh, that they are then illegal. Uh, and also here there are some special requirements for advertisement of biocides, and that was also checked like the ones in the CEP regulation. And overall, it was a 77% non-compliances for this part. The most non-compliant product types were repellents and attractants. And uh, disinfectants were checked quite a lot during this pandemic period. And, and it has also quite a lot non-compliance, but not as high as the first ones. And also uh, uh, misleading advertisement were checked here uh, because these products, the biocides, are designed to essentially kill living organisms. So then you cannot add uh, advertisement like low-risk biocidal product, non-toxic, harmless, and so on. And it's in 17% of the cases, this was non-compliant. What kind of companies are we talking about? You mentioned marketplaces and web shops. What, what, what are the differences between them and how many of them were not complying with the law? I think not everyone are aware of this difference because, and, and we have uh, defined web shops here in this project that the web shop own the product. They buy it and they sell it further on. And they can often be smaller web shops, but it could also be the big ones that already have physical stores and they are responsible for their products. They sell them. But then we have the marketplaces and they are just intermediates of, of products. Uh, they, they just offer them, but there are other sellers behind the offer. And the marketplaces are not responsible for the products. And I think most people are not really aware of this. And here we could see an overall uh, difference in the non-compliance that was 95% for marketplaces and 65% for web shops. Okay, makes sense that the marketplace where they're not responsible for the product, the non-compliance was, was larger. 
Um, what about the repercussions? So what happened to the stores and the products, uh, more importantly, that were not following the law? What, what actions were taken? Yes, most of the time it's enough with written advice from, from the authorities and, and most of the time the products were, and offers were then removed from the websites or that the misleading information were corrected. So I, I, it was just in a few cases you had to go on with, with more harder measures for enforcement. Uh, let's move on then to you, Maciek. So um, thank you for joining us, first of all. Um, can you tell us what the main recommendations from the project were? Thank you, Adam. Well, let's say the project has many recommendations for uh, marketplaces, the industry, online sellers, um, also the consumers and, and the commission. I will focus on the, the most important ones, um, and that is those for the uh, European Commission and the, um, and the sellers, uh, online sellers and the marketplaces. And as Karen mentioned in, uh, in her responses, the results of the project show that we have a fundamental issue of compliance with the EU legislation when it comes to products which are sold online. Uh, as you've seen the results, three out of four products uh, were found to be in some way non-compliant, whether because there was lack of hazard information that was uh, made available or because they uh, contained hazardous substances and were thus unsafe to the consumers. You know, when we look at um, the rates of non-compliance in this project and previous projects of the forum where inspectors checked restrictions duties, well, we can see that it's basically four times more non-compliance than shown through this more classical enforcement where inspectors um, check products by uh, picking them from, from stores or, or doing border uh, spot checks at the border with the customs. And considering that the volumes of online sales are only likely to grow, uh, this pro problem is going to become more pressing in the future. So overall, I think we really need a, a shift in, in paradigm on, on how online sales are regulated in the European Union. And more responsibility needs to be uh, put on the actors who are responsible for selling goods online. Sellers and uh, more particularly so online marketplaces, uh, where as Karen uh, mentioned in her responses, uh, the non-compliance rate was up to 95%. So considering um, all, these, um, all these reflections, the, the project basically uh, puts forward three main recommendations to the, to the European Commission. Firstly, to make marketplaces more responsible and liable for enforcement of illegal products, uh, particularly those um, um, and control of the compliance of the products, particularly those uh, from the sellers from outside of the EU. Secondly, to harmonize and strengthen the regulation of online commerce in the EU. And thirdly, to support and finance EU enforcement uh, development IT tools to better scan the online offers. Okay, thank you. Good. Um, and then can you actually tell us what these recommendations mean in practice? Well, for starters, the, the, the current legislation, when it applies to marketplaces who sell online, um, they are responsible to remove offers um, if, the, if they are informed, uh, for example, by consumers or inspectors, that the offer is non-compliant. Um, and uh, to provide the information uh, on, on the seller. This is the second obligation the marketplaces have. Um, and these two obligations are really not enough, uh, given the, the rate of uncompliance that, that, that we see. If they are only reactive um, to um, alerts by, by consumers or inspectors, um, then we see the rates of non-compliance that we do now. So the burden of responsibility for compliance of the online offers needs to, needs to really shift. 
um, and and of course marketplaces um, cannot um, really provide information on the on the properties of, of, of a given mixture for example but they certainly have the capability um, and, and it should be mandatory for them to require uh, the sellers of chemicals to provide all the necessary information uh, for example for chemicals uh, this includes information hazards um, and also marketplaces could control uh, whom the products are sold to. For example, some products would only be sold to trained professionals. In particular, uh, when we saw it in, uh, in, in biocides, like rodenticides, they should not be really sold to, to consumers. Um, and secondly, the marketplaces really are in a position to more proactively seek out non-compliance and not only rely on alerts from, from, from third parties. Uh, and they could do with this among all the offers that they publish. And this could be done via automated tools uh, or even spot checks and, and uh, occasionally a chemical analysis of suspicious products. And, and fully acknowledging that some marketplaces do this uh, already on a voluntary basis, but as the results show, these voluntary efforts are, are not enough. And regarding the uh, IT tools for enforcement, um, well, we, we know that the volumes of online sales are growing. There are millions of offers online every day, so inspectors really need more dedicated tools to screen, um, screen many offers uh, and make enforcement more efficient so they can be, they're able to check more offers uh, with these kind of tools. Okay, thanks a lot. And we'll talk a little bit more about what the follow-ups are for, for, for this project. So that will hopefully bring some insight into how these tools, for example, can be implemented and what it requires. But what about then in the short term? Um, what can be done before we have stronger regulation and better tools to, to regulate and monitor online sales? What can we do in the meantime? Thanks. This is a really good question. Of course, any changes in the regulation, they take time so that they, they, they could not be implemented immediately. So um, in, in the meantime, there's a number of things that the, particularly the online uh, shops and marketplaces uh, could do. Uh, for example, the marketplaces, uh, or more of them, uh, could join and sign the EU product uh, safety pledge. Just to stop you for a moment there, what is that? What is the EU product safety pledge? This is uh, essentially a, a voluntary agreement between uh, some of the bigger uh, marketplaces and the actors in the online sales. Uh, and, and in this pledge, um, these marketplaces essentially commit to improve uh, voluntary detection of, of unsafe products. So they kind of do self-policing uh, on their own volition. Right. OK, thank you. Um, well, secondly, uh, what uh, what the marketplaces could do is essentially request more information about sellers and their products. Um, and this way, they could uh, also ensure that they, the offers that they publish uh, satisfy the legal requirements before making them available online. So essentially, uh, increase the requirements for publishing any given offer, particularly when it comes to chem chemicals. Um, and as mentioned, um, I think the marketplace could also have a bit more proactive approach to finding non-compliant products before they are put on the market. Um, and again, sellers and the individual sellers and the marketplaces could definitely uh, become more familiar with the EU legislation uh, when it comes to chemicals, particularly, uh, particularly those regarding the provision of information uh, on, on the, in, in the online offers. Um, and ideally, this should happen before uh, any offers are put uh, online. With regard to industry and trade associations, we've, we've, we've seen that, uh, let's say, the level of awareness uh, of the requirements for the legal uh, 
uh, duties is, is maybe uh, has a room for improvement. Um, so it would definitely be beneficial if uh, if industry and trade associations could uh, uh, engage into a bit more aware awareness raising campaigns uh, amongst the uh, companies about the requirements of reach CLP and the biosized product regulation uh, and in particular uh, about the information that must be published with the online sales in the online offers. Let's move on to what companies can do um, to make sure that the products that they're buying actually meet the legal requirements. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, if you ask about the companies, then then certainly they would be um, expected to be buying for commercial purposes. So uh, I think the, the commercial buyers could clearly set um, uh, rather rather strict or clear demands on the on the suppliers um, so that the suppliers demonstrate that the products uh, they sell, uh, for example, you know, mixtures, whether it be for industrial use, um, they, they, they comply with the EU law. Uh, this could, for example, be correct classification labeling. Uh, and when it comes to articles, um, then the suppliers should be able to demonstrate uh, compliance with restrictions duties. Um, and companies could even uh, consider requesting compliance certificates um, that um, the articles have uh, been analyzed and are free of restricted hazardous substances. Now, now, as a consumer, uh, also listening to what you said before, that there are products that potentially shouldn't even be sold to, to consumers. Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind um, is, should I be worried as a consumer when buying these products online? Well, maybe not worried, but certainly aware there are certain there are certain risks. So, so the answer to your question is yes and no, both. Uh, in fact, we we know there is a high level of non-compliance, as as Karen has mentioned earlier and and described uh, in detail. But it is um, important to note, of course, that the uh, the results of the project are not uh, are not a survey of the market, but more targeted uh, controls. Um, so consumers, uh, well, basically, they should be aware that there might be some risks involved. And of course, the common problem for the consumer is that uh, often there is just no information on the hazards that's provided in the in the uh, in the offer, and so consumers cannot know that the products that they buy, particularly articles, uh, may contain uh, hazardous substances. So let's say a, a good general advice is that consumers are best. Uh, uh, should avoid buying products where there's either incomplete or there's no information on the seller. Uh, and this should really, uh, you know, flash up the, the, the red, red light uh, for the consumers. And whenever the consumers have doubt, uh, for example, if there's no information on contents, on the safe use uh, of the product, then it's best to contact the seller and, and request the information on such, on such product. In particular, if uh, consumers would be buying uh, mixtures, uh, it's always a good idea to check uh, the safety label uh, and look for information on hazards and safe use. When buying articles, uh, it's a good idea to ask the seller whether the goods contain any hazardous substances and, and see what they, they respond. Um, and in particular, if the consumers buy chemicals from outside of the EU, um, well, then they are importing them into the EU. Um, and in such situations, they may even be responsible for compliance with some of the duties, such as specification or notification uh, to, to ECHA. It's therefore a good idea to generally buy chemicals from sellers who you know are uh, established uh, in the European Union. Okay, thank you. Especially the, the point about you becoming an importer suddenly if you buy from outside the EU. That's, uh, that's a surprise to me uh, as a consumer and I, I think it's something that uh, definitely should drive people to, to maybe buy more, let's say, locally uh, in, in, in the EU then. Good advice uh, for our listeners there. So, um, next question, just to be clear, who's 
ultimately the ultimately the one who is responsible if they sell me a product that can potentially be harmful uh, without appropriate safety information. And if I if this happens to me, how can I report them? In the current legislation, the the answer is clear, and it's the seller who's responsible. Um, the problem, of course, is that if if the if the seller is uh, based outside of the European Union then enforcement authorities uh, have little uh, ability to to enforce that they comply with the legislation. Um, and therefore, in this situation, it's the marketplace um, that uh, that offers to delete um, these uh, offers from, from non-EU sellers that are non-compliant voluntarily. And in case the, the sellers are located outside of the EU, uh, normally enforcement authorities approach the marketplace uh, through which this incompliant offer is, is made. Um, and if their offer does not uh, contain, uh, for example, if the offer does not contain the required information uh, or is otherwise not compliant, and then the marketplace is obliged to remove this offer. So marketplaces kind of act um, uh, responsively to indications of non-compliance. But if the marketplaces are themselves outside the, of the EU, um, then the inspectors will still ask that non-EU marketplace to take down the offer. Um, and may even approach the enforcement authorities of, of the country uh, where the seller is located. Um, as far as consumers are concerned, um, then whenever they see that there is a non-compliant offer, uh, a good idea is to report uh, all cases where, where uh, consumers suspect non-compliance. And the fastest way to do it is to report them directly to the marketplace where they find the offer. Uh, and most of these marketplaces have their own channels uh, and instructions how to re report illegal offers. Now, we, we talked about the recommendations. Uh, what about then the next steps on the practical implementation? So now that the report's been published, how will all these recommendations be monitored and followed up? Well, for starters, um, together with the, with, with the forum um, uh, working group, um, we'll be organizing a workshop with stakeholder organizations. And, and uh, the aim is to do it sometime in the first half of next year uh, to communicate and discuss the uh, findings and also discuss the recommendations. Um, and, and we hope, of course, that these stakeholder organizations, both industry and consumers, um, will take up these project recommendations and, and organize, um, for example, awareness raising campaigns. Um, and this applies both to the industry and also to the consumers, so that they are aware that certain risks are, in, are involved when buying chemicals online. As regards recommendations to the European Commission, well, we hope, of course, uh, the project, uh, the recommendations will be considered in the ongoing development of the uh, e-law that regulates online sales. And as for enforcement, um, the forum will continue to support further controls of online sales. Um, it is recommended in the project control of online sales will really become a regular component of future enforcement projects. So we'll likely come back to this topic in the future. And I'm sure many of our listeners will also be following it with interest. Now we've come to the end of our episode, so thank you very much, Karin, for sharing your insights into the results, and Maciek for going through the main recommendations and the next steps. For our listeners, you can read the full report on our website. The best way to stay up to date on the follow-up of this report, and to find out about other ongoing or planned enforcement projects, is to subscribe to our weekly news at eka.europa.com. EU forward slash subscribe. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.